Hello, and welcome to a podcast for the new Maternal Obesity series from the Lancet Diabetes and Endocrinology. I'm Gavin Cleaver, and today I'm joined by Professor Mark Hansen. Professor Hansen, please will you introduce yourself? Hi, I'm Mark Hansen. I'm Director of the Institute of Developmental Sciences at the University of Southampton, and I had the honour to convene this series on uh, maternal obesity for the Lancet Diabetes and Endocrinology. So to kick off, Professor Hansen, how big of a problem is maternal obesity? And is this a global problem, or is it, is it just limited to high-income countries? It's an enormous problem. Uh, if we take uh, the data, for example, <clears throat> for the UK, one in two women, 50% of women between the ages of 25 and 34, that's probably the time when they're most likely to have children, uh, are overweight or obese. And we can see that this is similar in the United States, it's similar in Australia. So on the face of it, that looks like a high-income problem, a high-income country problem. But actually, when we look at many low-income countries, especially those that are going through economic transitions and with increasing urbanization and Western diets and so on, maternal obesity is increasing dramatically in them too. We see that it's something that's developed over time. We also see that it's something that's developed over the life course of individuals because going back to the UK data, uh, one in four children who go to primary school are overweight or obese. By the time they go into secondary school, it's one in three. And then, as I've said, by the time they're young adults, it's one in two. So a massive global problem. And so what, what would you say are the consequences of maternal obesity for women's health and for the health of future generations? They're legion, I'm afraid. First of all, in the woman herself, there can be problems with fertility, time taking to conceive and so on. During pregnancy, there's the risk of some complications of pregnancy, like a particular form of diabetes that can occur in pregnancy, gestational diabetes. There's the problem of preeclampsia or high blood pressure in pregnancy. There's the risk of preterm or premature delivery of the baby. The baby may be overgrown and have trouble being born and may unfortunately even die around that time through stillbirth. It may have a higher risk of congenital abnormalities and malformations. So terrible story emerging um, for the woman, for the woman in pregnancy and for her child. And sadly, we now know that the obese child is far more likely to become an obese adult and then to go on and have a higher risk of the so-called non-communicable diseases, diabetes, cardiovascular disease, asthma, some forms of cancer. So somehow preventing this problem from continuing is not only going to help the health, improve the health of women today and in their future lives, but it's also going to reduce the risk of these diseases being passed on to the next generation. So by way of a bit of an oversight of this series, it concludes with a focus on the preconception period. And now, why is that? And what kind of interventions would you say are required? I think more and more in medicine, especially in conditions such as these non-communicable diseases I've mentioned, we're realizing that it's no good waiting until people have the problem, they have the disease or they're massively overweight, and then trying to uh, treat it. It's far more effective and far more cheaper uh, to uh, intervene to prevent the condition. question is, when do you intervene? Do you try to make children who are beginning to become a bit chubby and overweight thinner. It might work, but that's actually quite difficult. It sometimes puts blame on their parents. And anyway, the kids are often too young to make any decisions about what they eat and what they do. So perhaps it should all be in pregnancy. 
But then, as we discuss in the series, in one of the papers, so far the attempts to help mothers to get a bit more exercise, lose some weight, have a healthier diet during pregnancy have a limited effect, but we don't see at the moment that they're necessarily having a big effect on the children. So more and more we're realizing that perhaps what we need to do is to start these interventions to get uh, women and indeed their partners to have a healthier weight and a healthier lifestyle even before they conceive a baby in the preconception period. So this is a new kind of perception. It's difficult because the particular groups that we'd particularly like to get to are often those who are not necessarily seeing a doctor or registered on on the public health radar, if you like. They may have poorer educational attainment. They may be the lower socioeconomic status groups. They may just not know the problem or have access to exercise facilities and good diets. So getting a message across to them is really difficult. And the other side of it is that unless individuals want to make these changes and see the need to do it, they're not going to bother. And so actually educational programs to engage young people, adolescents, young adults in the pre conception period so that they kind of begin to see that this is a real issue that they um, can solve themselves. The future of their health and their children's health is actually in their hands. And when you explain that to many young people, they understand it and they're very committed to doing something about it. But unfortunately, in this country and many others, we're just really not picking up the the cudgels and, and driving this forward. So a lot of what we've spoken about so far puts a great deal of responsibility on mothers and young girls. How important would you say that also their partners and families are to this situation? I think they're critically important. I mean, obviously, it's not the blokes who are becoming pregnant and and, uh, giving birth to the babies. But quite apart from the supporting role that they have for their partners through the preconception, pregnancy and early childhood years and the social environment, of course, that they uh, provide as a background to the family, the biology is also now showing that actually there are some risk factors in, in men themselves that can pass on risk of obesity to the next generation, whether the father smokes, whether he's obese, whether he... Uh, has an active lifestyle are all risk factors that certainly in animal studies can be shown to pass on uh, risk of obesity and some of these diseases to the next generation. So there's some fascinating biology emerging. We're only just beginning to understand how this works. But from a practical point of view, if we simply make young women and girls feel that they are responsible, they're to blame, and we don't engage their partners in a genuine co-creation, if you like, of a new movement to kind of prevent this problem. No blame needs to be attached to it. This is the life that we all lead. We just need to somehow collaborate and cooperate to try and make things better. No, of course. And uh, how does this relate to the UK government's uh, recently announced action plan on childhood obesity and their other initiatives? I think many of us in the healthcare sector and the research sector felt the government's report was rather disappointing. It's a start, and in some ways we are leading the world in following on some of the recommendations that the World Health Organization published in January of this year in a report of a commission that they'd been working on for uh, 18 months on preventing childhood obesity. And there are some very important things in the government strategy which echo that report from WHO the tax on sugar-sweetened beverages, the accent on more physical education in schools and so on. But I think many of us feel that it pulls punches and it could have gone a lot further, simply making reformulation of foods voluntary by the food companies will not be enough. 
not really saying that we absolutely have to ban advertising of, of, of unhealthy foods to kids won't go far enough. And so it's a start, but there's a lot more that needs to be done. And just finally, what would you say are the wider implications of, of this area globally? Well, I suppose, in a sense, it follows from what I've just been saying about the government strategy action plan on childhood obesity, because it links very closely this to the sustainable development goals, which were announced in 2015, and really are trying to face some of the global challenges that we, we all meet around the world over the next 15 years or so. And some of the goals are very clearly related to the things that we've been talking about. There's one that's in relation to the meeting nutritional needs of pregnant and lactating 